Brothers and sisters, welcome to Come Follow Me with David Bridges. My name is Thomas Holton, your guest teacher for the week of July 12th to the 18th. We're covering sections 77 to 80 of the Doctrine and Covenants. So my first book, Alive in Christ, will be published in September uh, by Cedar Fort Publishing and Media. I'm really looking forward to that. I've been a Sunday school teacher on four occasions, and I've loved those opportunities and love teaching the scriptures. I'm really excited to be with you today. So I thought we would begin by looking at section 78 of the Doctrine and Covenants. And this is a revelation given in March 1832. I've benefited greatly from looking at the Doctrine and Covenants Made Easier series by David Ridges. So I'll be referring to some of the um, inspirational thoughts that David has given in that work, and also some of the teachings of the modern prophets. And so if we look at section 78, this essentially revolves around uh, the care of the poor. I think there are some wonderful uh, verses, uh, wonderful themes that we can learn much from, that we can apply to our lives. So we are told in verse 3, For verily I say unto you, uh, the time has come and is now at hand. And behold and lo, it must needs be that there be an organization of my people in regulating and establishing the affairs of the storehouse for the poor of my people, both in this place and in the land of Zion. So this was about organizing and establishing a storehouse for the poor. We know that organization was to be called the United Firm. Section 92 refers to that. We know that this was the Lord's system. Uh, for helping the saints to be united and what we call the united order um, and the law of consecration was to apply here. So it, it, and then in verse 4, we're told that this was to be an everlasting order uh, to espouse the cause of salvation. And that espousal meant that it was to be adopted as their own. The saints were to espouse this um, order, and it was to be everlasting, not temporary, uh, not transitory. It was to be an everlasting uh, principle. We're told in verse 7 that if we desired a, a place in the celestial world, then we needed to prepare. The saints had to make preparations that a celestial kingdom had celestial laws and that the saints would need to be properly prepared and constituted to live by those laws. This is the united order. It's a, a celestial law. It's the highest law that we can live. And we, we need to learn those principles on this earth uh, in order to live them in the celestial kingdom. We're told that we must do the things which I have commanded and required of you. So if we are to rule and reign in the eternities forever, then now is the time to prepare. Now is the time to learn those lessons that we need to learn to become 
the sort of people we need to become. One of those key things about the United Order, the law of consecration, was that it would only work for a people who had charity, for a people who had Christ-like attributes. We know the saints struggled to live the United Order, and that's understandable. And so the Lord wants to cultivate that celestial gift of charity within each one of us uh, so that we can live by that law. We know in verse 11, we're told, a commandment I give unto you to prepare and organize yourselves by a bond or everlasting covenant that cannot be broken. And we know that this was to be a core idea and that the covenant was to be everlasting. It was to be an integral part of what the saints were to do and to live. This was to be a bond, an agreement, a promise, a covenant. And this was something to be totally loyal and faithful to, uh, that the Lord wanted to organize his people by a bond that would not be broken by them. He wouldn't break that bond, and he didn't want them to break it either. And we know that in the restored gospel, covenants are so central to everything that we do. We're a covenant people. We're the modern house of Israel. We know that the entire thrust of the scriptures is to talk about the covenant people of the Lord. The Old Testament could also be called the Old Covenant. The New Testament is the New Covenant. The Book of Mormon is another testament or another covenant of Jesus Christ. And the Doctrine and Covenants, well, that speaks for itself. It's a covenant in these last days. So we're a covenant people. We make promises with the Lord and he makes promises with us. So the Lord lays the foundation from the very beginning that we would be a covenant people and that we would keep his commandments and do his will and we would be greatly blessed by so doing. And this was a commandment. This wasn't an optional extra. This was what the Lord required of his people and how wonderful it is that we are required to do things that the lord places an obligation upon us that he places a duty upon us uh, and that makes us strong uh, to live faithfully to our covenants is a great challenge and a great charge for each and every one of us we're told in verse 14 something i've always found to be wonderful that through my providence, notwithstanding the tribulation which shall descend upon you, that the church may stand independent above all other creatures beneath the celestial world. So that is to say that the church would stand independent of all outside forces, uh, that the church would stand independent of worldly influences, that it wouldn't rely on the world to do its work, uh, that the church would preach uh, the message of God and perform his ordinances and keep his covenants and help the poor in the way that the Lord had designed, according to the Lord's law and according to his order, that we wouldn't be dependent upon governments or upon other systems or other institutions, but that the church would be able to um, stand independent and and not have a bias that would come uh, from other organizations. So I think that's a wonderful idea, that although this will be difficult, the saints would have much tribulation, 
there would be the providence and the help of the Lord and that the, the power of God would help the church to be a celestial church. And that, of course, is our aim to perfect the church, to make it a church of Zion and that we keep those standards that are associated with the laws of the Lord. In verse 16, we're told about Michael or Adam. And the Lord said, he has established the foundations of Adam and I am in verse 15. And then verse 16, who hath appointed Michael your prince and established his feet and set him upon high and given unto him the keys of salvation under the counsel and direction of the Holy One who is without beginning of days or end of life. So Michael holds the keys of salvation under the Lord Jesus Christ. How different that view is uh, than the world holds. And, and many people, even of faith, who hold the view that Adam and Eve somehow were a disappointment to God. But the truth is that Adam is a great prophet who stands next in authority in the priesthood hierarchy to Christ himself. And he holds the keys of salvation under the direction of Christ, the Holy One. We're told then in verse 18, uh, ye cannot bear all things now. Nevertheless, be of good cheer, for I will lead you along. The kingdom is yours, and the blessings thereof are yours, and the riches of eternity are yours. So the Lord referred to his saints as little children, that they didn't understand all the blessings that he had in store for them. But nevertheless, uh, he wanted them to be of good cheer, that he would lead them along. I love the phrase, he cannot bear all things now. And I suppose we tend to focus on the negativity of that phrase, meaning, oh, we, we can't do everything uh, that the Lord wants us to do yet. But implicit in that is the idea that we can bear some things now. There are some things we can do. We do have some capacity. Even little children can believe. Little children can do works of righteousness. Little children can pray. Little children can, can keep the commandments. So we can bear some things. We have bearing capacity. We have strength in the strength of the Lord. And so we can be glad we know who the source of our power is. We know the source of our salvation. We know that the kingdom is ours and the riches of eternity will be ours as we stay faithful. And those riches of eternity are obviously far beyond the riches of the earth. And the riches of the earth are great and wonderful, but the riches of eternity are far more significant than the riches of the earth. We then move to verse 19, and we're told this, He who receiveth all things with thankfulness shall be made glorious, and the things of this earth shall be added unto him, even a hundredfold, yea, more. I, I think that's a, a wonderful concept, this idea of the value and importance of gratitude in the gospel plan. We are taught to be a grateful people, to count our blessings. President Nelson recently invited the entire church and the entire world to be grateful for those blessings we have, even in the midst of COVID-19 and other challenges that we are deeply and richly blessed, and that by focusing on grateful things, by focusing on the blessings and the promises and the covenants of the Lord, that we can abound in joy, that we can be thankful, that all of our problems 
will seem lesser uh, if we focus on our blessings and that the Lord will help us to deal with the challenges that we face. So this idea of being thankful and being grateful, it leads to glory. It leads to abundance. It leads to hope. It leads to joy. And it is the Lord's plan that we be positive, that we be optimistic, that we be hopeful, that we be thankful for those things which he's put before us. So section uh, 78, in conclusion on that section, really is about the united order, caring for the poor. We know that the bishop's storehouse, we know about the the great welfare uh, system of the church, we know about the humanitarian efforts of the church and LDS charities. We know that the, the church does great and phenomenal work. And the church consists of its members, its people, its, its saints all over the earth who are true and faithful, who consecrate their time, their talents, their efforts, their resources, their knowledge, their love, and the great treasures of wisdom and faith that they possess to bless the entire world. And this world is so blessed because of the saints of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and good people everywhere. So let's continue to care for the poor according to the Lord's order and the Lord's system. That's the best way for it to be done. Then we move on to section 79 of the Doctrine and Covenants. And it's a brief section, but it contains messages of value. It contains principles that we can learn and reflect upon. I would like to focus uh, primarily on one verse here, which I I think is a a wonderful verse. This is a revelation, again, given in 1832, and it's given to Jared Carter, and he's called to preach the restored gospel. Verse 1 says this, Verily I say unto you, that it is my will that my servant Jared Carter should go again into the eastern countries from place to place and from city to city in the power of the ordination wherewith he has been ordained, proclaiming glad tidings of great joy, even the everlasting gospel. Well, uh, that's a marvelous uh, revelation to someone about to go on a mission for the Lord. Yeah, it's a revelation of hope and great confidence. The Lord called him to go to the eastern countries, the eastern United States, and told him that he would be able to go in the power of the ordination wherewith he was ordained. So he was ordained to receive power. He was endowed with power. He would go in the power of the priesthood. He would go with the power of the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, as we're told in Verse 2, and the Holy Ghost would teach him the truth and the way he should go. He would be his guide and his traveling companion, if you like. And no better companion can we have in this life than the, the Holy Ghost as our comforter and revelator and guide. And so he would go in power, and not his own power alone, but the power of God, the strength of the Lord. And that would be a great help to him. He was ordained. He represented the Lord called by a prophet and commissioned to go forth in the name of the Lord. We know that he would proclaim glad tidings of great joy. And that has always been the message of the Lord, those glad tidings, that great joy. The gospel is a message of gladness, that the heavens are opened, 
that angels have ministered to men, that priesthood has been restored, that gifts have been poured out upon the people, that the work of the ministry um, is upon us, that scripture has been penned and revealed, that gifts and signs and wonders have been brought back to the earth, that the veil has been parted, temple work, missionary work, all the great work of preaching and perfecting. Yeah, that is a part of this great and, and glorious gospel, this work of restoration, this work of revelation, this restitution of all things, this gathering together of the people of God in these last days. So this, this is a wonderful idea and wonderful revelation that we are to preach glad tidings of great joy, that the Holy Ghost is optimistic. He's positive about our message. Our message is a message of comfort. It's a message of joy. It's a message of rejoicing. It's a good news message. Uh, in the in the, the news today, it's it's very easy to see negative stories. But but the gospel message is not a negative story. It's a positive story. It's the ultimate good news yeah, that God lives, that Jesus is the Christ, that Joseph is a prophet, uh, that God is intervening actively in the affairs of men and women on this earth, that he has a plan, that he has a purpose, that we're not alone in the universe, that there is a reason, a deep reason and a deep meaning and a profound significance to our lives. And that this is a message of not just some joy, not just partial joy, but great joy. This is a message of deep joy and supreme thankfulness. This is a message of the ultimate hope, not just proximate hope. This is a message of salvation. In fact, it's called the everlasting gospel, the everlasting word of God. Gospel uh, meaning good news. It's the spoken word of God. It's the written word of God. It's the revealed message of God. And it's to be everlasting in nature. And that gospel message is, that was to be preached uh, by Brother Carter was to be everlasting in its impact, everlasting in its consequences, eternal in its duration. And, and that was the message he was to be able to preach. And as he did that in verse 3, as he was faithful to preaching the message that the heavens were opened, that uh, Joseph was called as a prophet, that the Book of Mormon was tangible evidence that God is at work in this world today, that God is not silent, or absent, or dead, but that he is with us. He is aware, and he is working to save us. That's a message that people need to hear, each and every one of us, wherever we live. And we are told, um, as he is faithful, verse 3, I will crown him again with sheaths. I love that idea. Uh, the laborer is worthy of his hire. And uh, we're called to gather the elect. We're called to bring in the sheaves. We're, we're called to bring people to salvation. And, and this church is such a marvelous force for good in this world in bringing salvation to millions of people. And so he will be crowned with these blessings, which is the symbolism of royalty. What a beautiful image. So let your heart be glad. Fear not, saith your Lord, even Jesus Christ. Amen. That's a wonderful revelation on the importance of him going to a particular place. He was to go to the eastern countries and declare 
that restored message. Now, let's have a look at section 80 of the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, which again is quite short. This is a revelation given in 1832. These four revelations were all given around the same time. And so this is to Stephen Burnett and Eden Smith. They were called to preach the gospel. Now, interestingly enough, uh, this is a contrast with the previous revelation where Jared Carter was told to go to the eastern countries. In this revelation, these brethren weren't told to go to a specific place. In fact, they were allowed to choose where they were to go and preach. Imagine the missionaries of our day being asked, well, where would you like to go and preach? I'm sure a lot of them would go to pretty exotic places, but we don't have that uh, liberty nowadays. But these brethren were allowed to choose. And this is really interesting. They're told this in verse 1. Verily thus saith the Lord unto you, Go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every creature that cometh under the sound of your voice. So they were to go into the world and preach the great news, the good news, um, to everyone that would listen. And um, he was given a companion, Eden Smith, and then verse 3, wonderful verse, Wherefore go ye and preach my gospel, whether to the north or to the south, to the east or to the west, it mattereth not, for ye cannot go amiss. Brother Ridges points out that when, when it says you cannot go amiss, that means you can't go wrong. I think that's wonderful. The Lord is saying you can't go wrong. That they were endowed with power. They had the right message that the heavens are opened. And the truth is restored. That Christ is our Savior and Redeemer. And our atoning Lord. And they had that message. And wherever they went, wherever they chose to go, they could not go wrong. Whether the north or the south or the east or the west, it, it didn't matter because he could not go on this. Now the obvious question is, well, why is that the case? Why is it that no matter where they went, uh, they wouldn't go on this? And I believe the answer is quite simple. It's because we're called to go into all the world. And eventually this gospel kingdom shall be preached in all the world. So uh, there is none to escape we're told in the revelations, meaning God has a plan and a purpose to introduce every one of his children to the gospel plan at some stage on either this side or the other side of the veil. He wants to speak to them and he cares. Uh, he cares what, regardless of where they live, um, no matter what part of the United States they were living in or they wanted to choose to go to, um, they would go and be successful in their work. Or if we think about that in today's context, whether you go to South Africa or Australia or Alaska to preach, you'll have success. Or whether you go to Ireland or go to Taiwan or go to Cancun in Mexico, that there will be people to hear your message. There will be souls to be saved. There'll be a great work of service to be done. There'll be hearts to gladden and uh, blessings to give and people to pray with and people to read the Book of Mormon with and people who will open their doors to you. Now, of course, there'll be some who won't listen, 
but there will be some who will listen. And that's why the church has mission fields in every land that we're allowed to go into. Uh, the people over all the earth are important to Heavenly Father, black and white, male and female, bond and free, um, that the Lord wants us to go. And so there will be people everywhere who will hear that message. That's why I believe they could not go amiss. They couldn't go wrong. They would make a choice and the Lord would bless them. He would prepare the way for them wherever they would go and they would do a great work. This is the will of him who hath called you, your Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, Therefore declare the things which ye have heard and verily believe and know to be true. They were to bear their testimony. They were to teach the doctrine, uh, to, to preach the word of the prophets, to preach faith in Christ and repentance. Baptism by immersion and the laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. They were to preach the gospel kingdom restored. And as they did that, they would have success. So another wonderful section. Now, finally, let's move on to section 77. So I decided I would do the first section last. And so section 77 is such a wonderful revelation of scripture. And there are so many wonderful things we can learn from this revelation. Uh, Brother Bridges points out some very important things in preparation for looking at section 77. This is obviously referring to the fact that Joseph Smith was called to, to translate it, I suppose, by the, the gift and power of God. And we have the what some people call the inspired version, the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible, which we know he never fully completed. But nonetheless, um, he, he came across, obviously, the book of Revelation and was looking at that, and which was written by John the Apostle, while John the Beloved, while he was on the Isle of Patmos, banished. Um, and a great and marvelous revelation, the book of Revelation, which is a, a work and a wonder, can be very difficult to understand in the absence of prophetic knowledge and inspired insight. And Brother Ridges teaches us that we can be so blessed to know that Joseph Smith is a prophet, and Joseph Smith is a seer and a revelator. And it takes a prophet, I think, to understand a prophet. And Joseph Smith gives us some great keys of understanding, so we can understand the book of Revelation so much better and make it plain so we can know about its timings, so we can know about when it's figurative and when it's literal, so we can not fall into some of the traps that some would fall into in these last days when you're trying to read the, the book of Revelation without the, the guidance of modern revelation, without modern books of scripture, without the, the help of the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost that can be very difficult to do. So we're so richly blessed to know these things. And so let's look at some of these verses. We'll look at verse 1, and this is written in a, a question and answer format. So obviously Joseph Smith, he gets revelation in order to help him to understand a previous revelation. He gives us knowledge. He uncovers mysteries. Uh, he makes that which is mysterious seem plain. and That which is hidden, he brings it to light. This is one of the great evidences that Joseph Smith is a prophet. It really is to me. It's a convincing witness, not just to the mind, but to the spirit. 
that Joseph was inspired of the Lord. So, verse 1. Question, what is the sea of glass spoken of by John, 4th chapter and 6th verse of the Revelation? Answer, it is the earth in its sanctified, immortal, and eternal state. Well, that's wonderful. That That's so impressive. We know that this earth in due course will be made celestial. It will be sanctified. It will be immortal. It will be perfected. It will be a place where celestial beings can live. Joseph Smith said that this would be a celestial Urim and Thummim. Urim and Thummim, which clearly refers to light and perfections. It's the idea that the Urim and Thummim, which was used to tra- help him translate the Book of Mormon, is um, is a great symbol for what this earth will be, and that it'll be a great Urim and Thummim. Everyone on it will be able to see as they are seen. What a marvelous concept. And that's a glorious destiny for this earth. The world of wickedness will come to an end, but the earth won't come to an end. The earth will be saved. And the earth will be sanctified. It will be purified from cleansed of all pollution. So how marvelous that is. And that will be an eternal duration. Now, let's have a look. At verse 6, we'll skip a couple of verses there and and move on to verse 6. Okay, so this is question uh, for verse 6. What are we to understand by the book which John saw, John the Revelator, John the Apostle, which was sealed on the back with seven seals? Answer, we are to understand that it contains the revealed will, mysteries, and the works of God the hidden things of his economy concerning this earth during the 7,000 years of its continuance or its temporal existence. So, this earth was to have 7,000 years of a temporal existence, temporal being the temporary, the time measured according to men. So, it was about 4,000 years from the fall of Adam to the time of Christ, and it's been about 2,000 years from the time of Christ to now, from his from his birth. So we've lived about 6,000 years. Our calendars aren't perfect, uh, so we don't know exactly. And that's one of the things Brother Ridges points out that we need to remember, uh, that we have to be careful about superimposing our uh, calendar timeline on the revelations here because they, we don't have all the details. So, so 7,000 years. And we know that the the thousand years of the millennium is soon to come. Okay, so we've had about 6,000 years and we have about 1,000 years or so to go. We're not in the millennium yet. But this is wonderful that this book, which was sealed with seven seals, contained the will, mysteries, and works of God. That God had a plan, that God had a purpose, that God was intervening in this world in each of those thousand years in various ways and means, and that he always had a purpose. And and so how wonderful it is to be aware of that, that that's what that means, and that mystery is uncovered. It's clear and apparent what was meant by the prophetic word in this case. Let's have a look at verse 7. Question, what are we to understand by the seven seals with which it was sealed? Answer, we are to understand that the first seal contains the things of the first thousand years, and the second also of the second thousand years, and so on until the seventh. 
So, each seal refers to a thousand year period. Seven seals, seven thousand years. So that makes complete logical sense. Now again, we do have to be careful about um, assuming, um, because our calendar is not absolutely right, there are issues with it. So sometimes people try to um, speculate or superimpose as to what events fall into what uh, time period of each thousand years. So that isn't always easy to do. But the general principle is what we know. At that 7,000 years, each one a thousand years long, and the Lord God would perform a work and would be doing things in each of those periods. Okay, let's have a look at verse 8. What are we to understand by the four angels spoken of in the seventh chapter and first verse of Revelation? Answer, we are to understand that they are four angels sent forth from God to whom is given power over the four parts of the earth to save life and to destroy. These are they who have the everlasting gospel to commit to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, having power to shut up the heavens, to seal up unto life, or to cast down to the regions of darkness. Okay, so that's wonderful. We, it's obvious that the, the second coming is drawing close. We know that we're closer than we've ever been. We know from this that angels minister to perform God's work. That's their fundamental purpose, to do the works of the Father involving his covenants, his gospel, his good news. That's what they're called to do. And so these angels obviously have power over the earth and power to do various different things in preparation for the second coming and as part of the gathering of Israel. Okay, let's have a look at verse 9. Question, what are we to understand by the angel ascending from the east? Revelation 7th chapter and 2nd verse. Answer, we are to understand that the angel this ascending from the east is he to whom is given the seal of the living God over the twelve tribes of Israel. Wherefore he crieth unto the four angels, having the everlasting gospel, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was to come to gather together the tribes of Israel and restore all things. Well, this is wonderfully prophetic. This is revelation, pure revelation. This angel, this Elias, would have power to say to those other four angels who have power over the earth, do not destroy the earth until the work of the gathering is accomplished. This is obviously reference to the gathering of Israel, the covenant made to Abraham, that his seed will be gathered in the latter days. Uh, and that work of gathering is hastening now. We know President Nelson has said it's the most important work on the earth, on both sides of the veil, in fact, in this time. And that work is hastening at a rapid pace and we need to try and keep pace with the Lord and his great work. That work will continue to go forward unabated. So this angel will help the work of gathering. And we have help from heaven to do this work of gathering in the battalion of the Lord, or the youth battalion of the Lord, as the President Nelson has encouraged their young people in the church who do such a wonderful job of doing his work. Okay, let's have a look at verse 11. Question, what are we to understand 
by sealing the 144,000 out of all the tribes of Israel, 12,000 out of every tribe. Answer, we are to understand that those who are sealed are high priests, ordained unto the holy order of God, to administer the everlasting gospel. For they are they who are ordained out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, by the angels to whom is given power over the nations of the earth, to bring as many as will come to the church of the firstborn. So, these 144,000 brethren, these are high priests, 12,000 from each tribe, from all over the earth, to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to perform his ordinances, to speak in his name, to gather people to his kingdom in preparation for his second coming. This is the, the great work of the latter days. This is the great work of gathering and a work of perfecting, a work of joyful good news. How marvelous it is. And we know that Israel is to be gathered from every nation under heaven. And that's what's happening now, which is why church growth in so many places, the Philippines and South America, and so many other places in Africa, all over the world, that the church is becoming established with stakes and temples and patriarchs in every land. It's so wonderful to see. Okay, let's have a look at verse 12. What are we to understand by the sounding of the trumpets mentioned in the 8th chapter of Revelation? We are to understand that as God made the world in six days, and on the seventh day he finished his work and sanctified it, and also formed man out of the dust of the earth. Even so, in the beginning of the seven thousand years will the Lord God sanctify the earth and complete the salvation of man, and judge all things, and shall redeem all things, except that which he hath not put into his power, when he shall have sealed all things unto the end of all things. And the sounding of the trumpets of the seven angels are the preparing and finishing of his work in the beginning of the seven thousand years, the preparing of the way before the time of his coming. So, we know that Christ comes in the beginning of the seventh thousand years. Now, he doesn't come at the end of the six thousand years, and sometimes people have assumed that's the case. He doesn't come then. Then he comes sometimes in, in the beginning of the seventh. So this is why we don't know exactly when the Lord will come. We don't. We may be in the seventh seal now. We actually don't know. But we do know that the Lord's coming is closer than it's ever been. And this work of gathering is the great work of the latter days for both men and angels and women and children and all of us in the gospel kingdom on both sides of the veil. Let's have a look at verse 14. What are we to understand by the little book which was eaten by John, as mentioned in the 10th chapter of Revelation? Answer, we are to understand that it was a mission and an ordinance for him to gather the tribes of Israel. Behold, this is Elias, who, as it is written, must come and restore all things. What a marvelous thing. Uh, this is a great symbol, a great representation. John eating this book, um, that this would be a mission to gather Israel, to restore Israel to the covenant, to the saving knowledge of Christ, to the lands of their inheritance. These are the promises that the Lord has made throughout Scripture, throughout time and eternity, that the house of Israel will be gathered together into the gospel kingdom. How marvelous it is to know that.
and how important it is to know that, that this work of gathering would be bittersweet. Um, it would be sweet in the mouth as honey and bitter in the belly, meaning, of course, that the work of salvation is a work of disappointment and also a great work of joy. It's a work of glory and a work of tribulation. It's a bittersweet symphony, if we can put it that way. And that's the work of service in the gospel kingdom and the work of missionary work. It's hard and it's beautiful. Okay, then one final verse, verse 15. What is to be understood by the two witnesses in the 11th chapter of Revelation? Answer, they are two prophets that are to be raised up to the Jewish nation at the last days, in the last days, at the time of the restoration and to prophesy to the Jews after they are gathered and have built the city of Jerusalem in the land of their fathers. So these are two apostles, we presume, as Elder McConkie has shared, of the latter days, or members of the first presidency, who will preach and prophesy for three and a half years in Jerusalem with great power and great authority. And then they will be killed, and for three and a half days will lie in the streets. Then they'll be resurrected. And their resurrection will be a shock to many, and many will turn to the Lord. Theirs will be a ministry of power and of prophecy. And that day has not yet been reached, but it will soon be. So they will bring souls to Christ. I want to prepare to conclude now on, on these uh, sections, these wonderful sections. You know, I'm struck by so many things. I'm struck by what Elder David A. Bednar has said, that um, we are all called to the work, um, and then we are assigned to particular locations. But the, the first thing is the call to the work, whether we labor in Bolivia or in Pakistan, or whether we labor in Bora Bora, wherever we go, whether we're in New York or California or New Mexico. Our work is to preach God's gospel, to perfect the saints, to bring souls to Christ. And uh, the place is secondary, but the work is core, and the whole earth needs to be full uh, with the knowledge and the glory of the Lord. I'm so grateful for these wonderful and precious precepts. I'm so grateful that we have a prophet, a prophet in Israel. I'm grateful that we are spirit-led, that we are prophet-led, that we are endowed with power as Latter-day Saints, as brothers and sisters across the earth. I'm so grateful that we can know these truths and share these doctrines. It's my testimony that God lives, that Jesus is the Christ, that Joseph Smith is the great prophet of the Restoration, the choice seer, that the Book of Mormon is the good word of God, that the Doctrine and Covenants can give us so much knowledge that will bless us and sustain us. I bear that testimony. And I rejoice in that testimony. I know it to be true. I know God is good. And he will perform his miraculous work in these latter days. And I say that in the holy and sacred name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters. God bless you. and Have a wonderful week.